0: Welcome,
1: welcome. Welcome. <laughs> 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 Where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. We're going with it. Yeah, and I like, I like the. Harmony. We are your barbershop trio, consisting of myself, Matthew Thompson, Tanner Higgins,
2: Mason Simmons.
1: So, uh, I, oh, goodness, I don't even know how to dive into this chapter. Well, I do because I can't, I can't wait, I can't wait, fellas. So let's, let's, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. let's, let's
0: clear some things here. Okay, there are things to come Well, let's give a little, you know, precept preview. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is actually going to be the last time that we see Jesus do a miracle for somebody. In the sense uh, of, like, yeah, yeah. to the people of present time, first century Judea. So this is the last time. So let's just take that into consideration that this is going to be... Sorry, guys, we won't see no more blind people being healed.
1: or no more lame people by Jesus' hands. Ha-ha. But... Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's something worth putting up there. That that absolutely should be brought up. Um. It's just now occurring to me that our beautiful harmony might be wasted by the fact that like, there's music, in that area of the podcast. So,
2: terribly sorry, dear listener, for just, just destroying your ear holes. Uh. But there we That's go. okay though, because I mean, we're. I do that anyways. A joyful noise. I it already. I mean, i just all we've done. I don't know. That
1: wasn't very joyful, was it? it, was, <laughs> it was a joyful, joyful hey, noise. I gave that my off. Can't help it. I don't have natural teeth. <laughs> But that is enough of of the silly speech because this chapter is quite possibly my favorite chapter of of Scripture in the entire Bible. Um, Because this, John chapter 11 has a special place in my heart because for me personally, this is, when I first like started really reading and comprehending Scripture on my own, doing like personal studies, John chapter 11 was one of the first um, big pieces of Scripture that I took on and read and like, learn something from like wasn't wasn't just learning from like a sermon or uh, from a pre-written out devotional uh, nothing against those things of course but like when I first started like myself diving into scripture this chapter was one of the first that mm-hmm. had like a profound effect on me so it's it's got a very special place in my heart so I very much look forward to, to discussing it with y'all
0: yeah I, I kind of also want to point out uh there was a post that we put put uh, on Facebook the other, uh, the other day uh about kind of like the problem of evil, and we've already kind of talked about this in a previous episode. Mason, were you were you part of the podcast at that time? I'm not sure. We talked about the problem of evil, and this chapter came up in the conversation. I'm thinking you were, but I'm not going to say I sure. I think so. Okay, but one thing I I, I posted a, a, a kind of a question slash picture yada yada yada, and I want to point out that there are sometimes that this perception that we see of Jesus today is a lot different than what a lot of people think of them. And one of the things I kind of want to point out, that there's something called an Epicurean paradox. And this paradox, and this is a question I think that is hard, a hard question, but yet I think it's an interesting thing to think about, is the, the, the paradox is that if God is benevolent, if he is loving, he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful, then evil, death, pain, and suffering should not exist but since evil pain and suffering do exist then god is not benevolent all powerful and all knowing and i disagree with this paradox this is just kind of like a, a one way view of who god is this is a god that is removed from humanity and here is a different picture of god through the, through the eyes of jesus and i think this is a very i think this is a staple of a character of Christ in, in this chapter, and I think it, it permeates all the way through the chapter. It's not just one little snippet. It's it's all through it. So I think that's one thing to point out, that God is not absent in our human world, that he is ever-present.
1: I think this this chapter gives a picture of that. So let's dive in. All right. Well, Let's start out by reading verses 1 through 5, and we can start diving in. Uh, verse 1 says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, opening thought for me on that, i I mean, this is something that we're going to tackle a couple more times throughout uh, reading this chapter, more than likely. But I love how upfront Jesus is about it. Like, making it clear that, I mean, just to reread it, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And we're going to hear uh, further on in the chapter people misunderstanding his words, again, as per usual. But Jesus was relatively clear, like, everything's part of the plan. Yeah. He, he knows what's going on.
0: So there's definitely a, a, a focus around this whole story, and that's around one man, Lazarus. First off, i got a question. How come your, your name's Matthew, okay? You're, you have a biblical name, okay? You hear a lot of people named John, Mark, and stuff like that. I see no one named Lazarus. Come on. Like, listen, Mason, when you have a kid, boy or girl, it needs to be, it needs to be Lazarus. The female named Lazarus. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just I was thinking, like, how come there's some biblical names that aren't used you know, because a lot of people seek for biblical names, but yet Lazarus
2: isn't one of them. Martha is, Mary is, but Lazarus? Come on. I think I've even, not no, it's not often, but I think I've even heard of Jezebels. Have you? Yes. Oh, not many. Oh, yuck. But, <laughs> you ain't my friend, girl. <laughs> but like People will name them like Jezebel, and I'm sure it's not. They probably don't know yeah, the It's, it's probably not even that. But the fact that there's more Jezebels than there are Lazarus, it's like, I'm disappointed. Come on. I'm disappointed. What about all the canes
1: out there?
0: What about all the hams? <laughs> 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 and and, and japheths, yeah. That's good. So, but this whole story, I think it really focuses around the first uh, phrases that there was a certain man who was sick, who was ill, and that man was named Lazarus, and this whole story is around this guy. And... I actually, that's I kind of curious. I looked up the Greek of Lazarus, and their Greek form is Eleazar. And I've heard that term before, not by anybody that I know of, but I've heard that term. And this term, Eleazar, means God is my help. Isn't there actually a king named that in the Old Testament?
1: That sounds super familiar.
0: I know. That's I, I, that's one thing. That's, that's my lack of probably searching up that name. I, just, I, I kind of stopped at the definition of Eleazar at, at face value and and went from there, I didn't look back at the historical references. But yet, you know, Matthew, you do realize that the Bible references itself. So Ooh.
1: maybe, maybe, just maybe, I don't know. I can't remember. There's so many Dagum kings. Well, it says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 25, there's a, um, it's lineage scripture, like saying this person, we got this person, whatever. Uh, verse 25 says, Aaron's son, Eleazar, married one so of he's the daughters. a priest. Yeah.
0: Maybe so, a priest and a king, but we know that he's a priest. Yeah, within that uh, lineage. Okay. So I think this is a, if we if we if we understand this and know that this dude's name, is if he's sick and it says God is my help, I think that's kind of reminiscent. Of like when we're sick and we need some kind of help, we we need to have that kind of mentality of God is my help. We need to reference that. But this illness affected the Dago whole family, you know. And I understand with the, the way that our our health climate is with the, with big C and stuff like that. That if one's sick. Or let's say that, you know, someone in the church is sick, it kind of affects everybody. You know, it doesn't affect that one person. And I think us as Christians, there's another application. Sorry, there's a lot of applications in this chapter. It's fantastic. That if one of my brothers or one of my sisters are sick or pain or suffering of what natures, I need to be affected too. You know, your heart needs to be aligned with my heart, and I need to be suffering with you.
1: And honestly, like the current... uh shoot, I'll, I'll say the word uh, the current pandemic well i won't use the C word, p word um, that's gone around it does actually kind of put us on an equal footing of sorts with like say lazarus um, mm-hmm. he was ill because one of the like the big reason that the pandemic is being called the pandemic is because we don't mm-hmm. have anything to fight it with yet i mean yeah we've got our little experimental treatments but i mean there's there's no vaccine there's no hundred percent like cure or anything like that and I mean, people back in Bible days, there was no physician that was like, oh, you have the common cold. Here's some chicken noodle soup and some ibuprofen. You'll you'll be all right. if you got sick, you probably died. Like, that's just how it worked.
0: So let me point out this. This is pretty cool. I I actually did some research on, like, how Christians interacted with early pandemics and epidemics and stuff like that. Is that medicine the way it is today would be nowhere without Christians, because going back to like second, third, fourth century when we had you know a plethora of fun pandemics and epidemics of the Black Plague and 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 all these stuff. A lot of times when a community was hit with a pandemic or an illness of some of some of some nature, when people were dropping dead like flies, a lot of the rich folks and a lot of people that had influence and doctors and and, and smart people that were not Christians fled to the hills so they won't get it. But yet, what did the Christians do is they lived by example, and what you'll see here is what Christ does, they lived by example and went to the sick people and did what they could to help them, you know, dress their wounds or whatnot, you know, feed them, try to get them through it, give them medicine, even if it meant them contracting the disease and dying themselves. And I think that's a, an interesting view because of that. This, is, this has created a healthcare type of mentality of, like, people's lives at all costs in the sense of, like, I'm going to put myself in harm's way for the health benefits and structure
1: of humanity. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I know I just uh, said, like, back in Bible times, it was like, you get sick, you die, or whatever. Um, and, I mean, yeah, that's true to a pretty significant extent. But you got to keep in mind that um, the purpose of a lot of the laws, uh, back in the Old Testament, like Leviticus and such, were for health purposes. Like, a lot of the instruction that God gave his people was for, like, making sure that the diseases stayed contained because people just didn't know how to handle that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, God and his followers have a pretty solid history of being uh, ahead of the pack on that kind of stuff. It's like he almost cares for people's health. Shoot. Get out of here. No. No. Next you're going to be telling me God so loved the world? What? Is that? Is that a verse? What? No. What? Is that somewhere in John? I feel like I've read that somewhere. I don't old. think we got that <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> so here, here we have this message that is brought to Jesus and the disciples. You know, they're kind of out, they're not in Bethany. This 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 whole situation of Lazarus and the family, they're in Bethany. And Jesus is not in Bethany. And so when this message reaches Jesus, he's just like, Okay, I know what's about to happen, and I know what I'm going to do here. And so this whole situation, this whole tragedy. It shows that Jesus cares for this man and he knows what what he's about to do is about to be something miraculous. And this being the last miracle that Jesus does for somebody, it he's gonna go out of the bang, you know. Well, I mean, his resurrection is probably the biggest bang of all. But you know what I'm talking about. He, for people to see him. Yeah. But yet yeah, verse four I, I think is kind of like one of the key notes of this whole Dagon chapter. Verse four says, This illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I think this statement shows a foreknowledge of two things. And I point this out in my notes. is that It shows that Lazarus' death isn't final. Okay, It shows that his death is not final. And two, that with Lazarus' second wind that Jesus gives him, Jesus is placed on a bigger plane, a higher plane than anyone else. Because once he raises someone from the dead, that's a little bit different than healing the blind and the lame and healing someone from leper. Like, this is a whole different ballgame now.
1: Like, he has control of life now. Yeah, one thing that comes to mind, uh, both of y'all have seen the, the animated movie The Prince of Egypt, right? Fantastic film.
0: Wait, dude. Wait, you've never seen Prince of Egypt? <laughs> you snake. uncultured
1: swine. I'll power bomb you wait, right through this table. Go ahead. I got a quick fact toy for you after you, you say this. Okay. Well, for the uninitiated, Mister Mason, there—I um, mean, it, it tells the story of uh, Moses, like bringing his people out of slavery. So, I mean, so that tells you what the, the basic story was. So, Pharaoh, he's got his two little lackeys that are constantly trying to like reaffirm that these miracles that Moses is performing uh, on God's behalf are not supernatural and can well, while they are supernatural, the uh, gods that Pharaoh worshipped were also capable of like the same thing. So, for instance. Uh, in the movie when um, Moses puts his uh, staff in the water and comes like a river of blood, um, Pharaoh's two lackeys come up and say, uh, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. That he He's not doing anything that our gods can't do as well. And they get like this little saucer of water and one of them goes by the power of Ra," and puts like red powder in it. So obviously <laughs> it turns red. They're like, see, we got it. The, got that makes decent. me think of that because like, yeah, they they can fake those like super miniature versions of those miracles that aren't aren't even miracles when they're pulling off just throwing red powder. That would you think was going to happen? Like, hey, look, I have food coloring. Uh, power power bra. Um, they they can't even begin to do that when it comes to resurrecting a dead body. Which, by the way, Jesus took his time getting over there when he yeah. hears about it. He stays. And that's the reason why.
0: That's the reason why he wanted to make sure he's dead.
1: Yeah, he stays two more days. It said verse six. Yeah. So like, this is the kind of stuff that you're. Your red powder can't can't get you. There, there's no faking resurrecting a dead body. Alright, so here's your factoid.
0: This is this is your useless knowledge for the day. So you know that Prince of Egypt was made by DreamWorks, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. what else was made by DreamWorks was Shrek, okay? Two of the big films that made put DreamWorks on the map. Did you know that people that worked on Prince of Egypt, if they screwed up or if they did poor animation. They were basically booked They were uh booted off of the project and kicked to Shrek because it was like you and they they coined it as you've been tricked. <laughs> like like uh you're not good enough for this project, so we're gonna send you to the lower the lower project that no one wants to be part of. You know Shrek, you've been tricked, so get out. Which Uh-oh. they're both good films, but yet the animation for Prince of Egypt is so beautiful. You need to watch it, dude. You. Your it holds I up. My <laughs> it, it does hold up. It's fantastic.
1: But I thought you were about to give me some crazy, like, conspiracy theory on how like the Prince of Egypt and Shrek are in the same universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might be.
0: <laughs> it might be. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but that I think this is the big thing that I think that separates uh, the the wheat from the shaft between Jesus and anyone else, and this is what gets him killed. Is that because I, I mean later on we see that. And later on in the chapter, we see that they finally say, Okay, we gotta kill him. And I think it's because of this event that it could cat, it it's the catalyst of people of the Jews and the Pharisees, like, Okay, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. We gotta kill him. Go ahead and say it, Do it, do it. He's too dangerous to be kept alive. But I get that reference, you get that <laughs> reference, Star Wars. We're a bunch of nerds, sorry, but. I think this is the catalyst of people, of, of the Jews and the enemies wanting him dead because this does put him on a different playing field than any other kind of Messiah. Even though we have seen resurrections in the past, but yet it's all been accredited to through the power of God. But now that Jesus is claiming to be God, he is God creating life through death. So we're going to get more into it. So going into verse 6, Matthew, you're you talking about that Jesus kind of remained outside of Bethany.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so, so when he heard that he was sick, he, he being Jesus, stayed two more days in the place where he was.
0: Yeah, And a lot of times you would think, like, why in the world would Jesus do this? Like, If he knew that he was sick, and we see a lot of times dude, oh, who was it? Who was it that the centurion came to Jesus like, you know, my... Oh, shoot. I mean, it was his son, wasn't it? It was his son. It was the same chapter of woman at the well. Uh, the very centurion's son, yeah. Where he's like, you know, my son is sick. And Jesus was like, you've got faith, you know, he's healed just go home, basically and he didn't have
1: to be there so Jesus could have easily said, Lazarus, be healed and not even go to Lazarus yeah. and um, another note about uh, Jesus staying for another two days I mean, obviously Jesus is fully aware of what's going on the timetable and all that but for what it's worth, the message that was sent to him according to verse 3 was Lord, the one you love is sick mm-hmm. now, they didn't have text messaging back then but don't know if you know that um, the mail service, not top notch. Carry pigeons, bro. Well, exactly, but you you don't know. Like, I mean, maybe they wrote dates on it, but we also don't know that they wrote dates on it. On so. the carrier pigeons. Exactly. Yeah. Just, or smoke like, spray away. paint on there. Smoke. how <laughs> they're out here doing Morse code with mirrors in the sunlight. Um. So, for anyone that isn't Jesus, getting that sort of message, like would be thinking, "Oh, I wonder how old this message is." So I mean that I don't know. That just got that. that just kind of came to mind like, oh, in terms of like how long. Oh, been.
0: I wonder if like there's like well, he can't be too far away. Yeah. Because if, if if he waited two days,
2: which again, I mean, this I'm, is, I'm not going to say because I don't want We haven't got there yet, but I mean, I can if you want me to. No. Lazarus wants to being in death for four days. He waited two days. I mean, I. So I wonder if it's like a day travel? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There, it might have been a day travel, so he might have died the day before he got the news. Or the day of, he got the news. think mm-hmm. it could have been a two day travel. But then, yeah, could for for the message to get to him,
0: too much math. But yeah, at the time <laughs> at the time of the, at the time of the message reached to Jesus, he, Lazarus was probably still alive at that time because I mean, Mary Martha probably sent the message via messenger to Christ, like he's sick. Come to him, please do something.
1: There's a fifth grade TCAP math question in there somewhere. I'm sure. You know, I'm not gonna puzzle that.
0: But. I think this is also reminiscent when Jesus is waiting here, when Jesus says, "You know, I'm going to remain two days." You know, when we pray, a lot of times we expect God to answer and give in to our demands. You know, it's like, I, "God, are you going to show up? Like, you better show up today." Like, I've prayed this request, take the storm from the flesh now, Lord. You know, this is this is the thing I, I'm asking you right now. But God doesn't bend to our wills. That's one thing that we got to
2: acknowledge: is that God does not answer to our timetable. I think I put together some math. Put some math together. Okay, so if we start at verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him. So uh, back to verse 6, you know, he he waits two days and then uh, the people start saying, you know, uh, the Jews are like, are they not out to stone you? Are they not to kill you? And Jesus is like, Let's go like let's go anyway. And so basically when you put it together, he Lazarus is dead the day he leaves. To go to To, to go to Bethany. Judea, yeah. Okay. Because Jesus says before they even start to leave, okay, you know, Lazarus sleeps, but I go mm. to awake him. Okay. But yet yeah, they didn't understand that, did they? Yeah, they didn't understand what they meant yeah. about. So. Well, that-
0: would we classify let's 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 get into that real quick. Let us I, I wanna point out one thing. I, I had another quote in my notes, and I'm to say it. I'm going to <laughs> I was say was waiting it. for it. My nerd quote I almost stole it from you, I'm Yeah, like did. yeah I'm not do that. But what does Gandalf say is that A wizard is never late, Mr. Frodo Baggins. He, arri- he arrives precisely when he means to. And Jesus is the great I was about to say great wizard. But <laughs> Ain't he though? Ain't he though? Well, you know, he, he can materialize things. Like I cast no resurrect. Word. Yes, he, 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 that's almost blasphemy was, but hey, no, but see, but hey, Gerald Tolkien, he was a Christian, he did, you know, there is a lot of Christian references, you know, so we'll put it at that, what's your imagination wrong, but anyways, <laughs> uh, I, I think that Jesus, he's never, he's never late, even if he's not responding to you, to your text messages and whatnot, you know, and I think, man, that last sermon that Seth preached last week was phenomenal, like, sometimes God is just silent. You know, and I think that we need to realize that God, he may not be in the fire, he may not be in the wind, but sometimes he's in silence. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just got to be, we need to be silent too. We need to shut up ourselves and be like, okay, God, you've got this. You know, this is your timing, not mine. So I guess back to your point, I because I saw something out of that too, the 12 hours in the Mm -hmm. the day. And at first glance, I didn't think of like, I wasn't putting math together. First off, I hate math. (laughs) Uh, I just want to point that out. But Jesus, I, I think... This is what I think. When I got this, I, 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 I'll just say this. But I think when I first read this, Jesus explains that life is short and, I, and by there's only 12 hours in a day. You know, this could be a way of me saying, okay, well, if there's 12 hours in a day. You know, I, I've only got a limited time to go. And so he could have been saying that in a way, and I'm taking this as just a personal application. It's like, you know, life is short. I've only got a limited time to do this. Uh, I got a limited time to do things. And those who know the light Will not stumble, he says. Jesus has claimed to be the light before. Correct me if I'm wrong. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. And he says, those that will not stumble. So I'm wondering, get, catch my phrase here. What a stumbling is, an, is like a metaphor. Like, this is just my mind
1: conjecturing here. What a stumbling is just a metaphor for
0: death. It's ridiculous.
1: Jesus doesn't use metaphors. We know it does. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, I know.
0: But here's what I saw. I was like, so those who know the light, those that don't know Jesus, don't stumble, don't perish. But it could, you could apply it to different things. Those that don't stumble, you know, when they're when uh, you know death or pain, suffering falls in their way, they do suffer. But yet they have a way to not completely fall on their face. But yet I saw it as a more like a complete perish. Those that believe in Christ and believe in the light won't stumble. But then he continues on, but those who
2: walk in darkness and not in the light, Mm -hmm. not in Christ, will stumble. Yeah. I think it's also talking about like doing things when you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Like back in this time, you know, they didn't have street lights and all these other like things to where they could see at night. You know, when it got dark, it was dark. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you had your little candle to light the way, there was no way of seeing at night. So like you if you had work to do You've Done it in the day mm-hmm. and you got it done, otherwise, it didn't get done until tomorrow. And so, I think Jesus is kind of talking about that. Like, it's like what you're saying, you know, we've got limited time to do things, do it when you're supposed to, mm-hmm. instead of you know, trying to put it off or do it at the night when you have no clue what you're doing because you can't see. I remember here's a little personal
0: testimony I guess I remember when I was called to preach, and I got called to preach in Haiti, and I kind of put it off for a little while, and I remember. The Holy Spirit saying, you better answer, or I'm not going to call you ever again to be a preacher, and I'm going to call someone else to do it. So it's just like, oh crap, I guess I better listen, you know, in the sense of like, if he's not going to call me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do what he's called me to do, but yet he doesn't need me. He doesn't need my permission to do something. He could have easily used, heck, if I didn't answer, he could have used Matthew. Who knows? I mean, there might be an opportunity there for him, bro. To quote Paul. By no means. By no means. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> I don't know. But we we gotta remember that you know that Jesus is of the light and you know I think that through that we don't know. that's why I got in the verse, and that could be just Jesus saying, "I can't see in the dark." <laughs> I don't know. I you, like just be Jesus? I mean, like, I can, but I choose not to. He could use his divine power, and that could be like his eighth miracle and use night vision or something like that. I don't know. But I think it's interesting too. Like I almost want to say. Let me, let me get y'all's opinion on this. Do you think Jesus, Jack, sassy Jesus shows up here? Because here, it's interesting because the disciples witnessed all the things that Jesus has done. You know, has done all, seen all the miracles. Uh, when he says plainly. Yeah. yeah no, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think he's definitely throwing sass in there. Okay, yes. It's a, well, could be. Could be. Because the disciples, they thought Jesus was speaking literally of Lazarus asleep. Mm-hmm. But, but Jesus knew that he was going to die. He doesn't literally say that Lazarus is going to die or he is dead. And they they thought, so you just want to go over there and shake him up, wake him up a little bit? They, they thought, they didn't think he was speaking in death terms. But then Jesus says plainly that he's dead. Yeah, so do you think thought, that's sassy Jesus or do you think that's just Jesus being like, okay guys, You know, he's I, just dead?
1: I feel like there's an argument to be made that I'm the biggest advocate for, for sassy, sassy Jesus. Jesus. I, I'd like to think so. But I'm, I'm going gonna, to gonna say no on this one because... It becomes clear in further scripture, we'll, we'll get down to it, the shortest verse in the Bible, spoilers, that Jesus is, like, heartbroken. Like, he's grieving. Like, they're... Okay. I don't think this is something he would be sassy about. I like when i when i was reading the scripture like the mm-hmm. the mental image cuz i mean a lot of this plays out like a movie like the yeah, the narrative yeah. of uh how this chapter is spelled out it's really easy to put like a mental image and like i was imagining like jesus kind of taking the lead in the group while they're walking and this are like oh if i mean if he's asleep then we'll we'll just wake him up when we get there or whatever like they could be
0: discussing it and jesus is probably just tired of it. like I, I
2: think he's definitely agitated i, I can see okay. to yes, be like i, I see yeah, well, yeah, it for it to for john to say that jesus told them plainly like other than just jesus said or jesus says like how it says throughout almost all of scripture the i think the fact that john kind of threw in there plainly jesus was trying to make sure they actually understood at this time and after he already kind of told them in jesus ways in parable form of he's asleep let's go over there and yeah. visit him and they're like oh if he's asleep he'll get well so we'll just go over there and see when we get there and jesus is like no. Yeah. He's dead. <laughs> he's not asleep. He's not going to wake He's not just going to wake up when we get there. What does um, he say later in verse 15? It says, I'm glad that you,
0: I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. So Jesus, he's just like, you know, I'm glad that we weren't there because for Lazarus to die and for what Jesus is going to do, it's for the disciples. And so Christ allowed Lazarus to die for the disciples' sake, it seems like. And there and I think there are these disciples, I think he's saying this because there's still unbelief and doubt in their hearts.
1: But then there's our boy Thomas. Dude, no joke, man. Like I he gets so much flack about doubting later
0: on. Yeah. But now it's just like his like there's no doubt in his heart right here. Like he has like unwavering faith. You know, he's almost bold. You know, it's not doubting Thomas, but it's like faithful, bold for
1: yeah. Thomas. I uh, love it. And, I mean, we're referring uh, to verse 16 where it says, Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go so that we may die with him. Like, look, look at our boy Thomas just just speaking up. He's like, no, 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 I think Jesus has got his He's guys. having this bigger yeah. moment. So, <laughs>
0: I've I, I looked it up, too, and I was curious, why does it say twin? Yeah, I, I never noticed okay. that. I looked it up. I looked it up. This is interesting to me. But... Per church tradition and church history, it is said that Thomas looked like Jesus. Like, Thomas was the one that more likely had, like, the same body structure and facial features (laughs) equal to Christ. And so they put twin because that was something special, like something different. And so he had a special risk. Mason, you all right?
2: No, I'm having a mind-blown moment right now. (laughs) Because Thomas Thomas didn't have a brother. Why was it so significant that Judas had to point him out then? Because there was someone else that looked like him.
0: Oh, what? What? Oh my! What?
2: <laughs> Whoa!
0: What? Wait, 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 wait! You, you gotta say that again. You gotta say that again. And, ex- and explain it. Okay, okay. I've oh, always pockets.
2: thought. i <laughs> Oh, I think we're all. I think we're all. That's a mom blow. Now, okay. now you see why I was holding my breathe. hand. All right, breathe. We need breathe. That's interesting. Whoa! Say it again. I've I- and, always and, thought and, like the purpose. Right and I still believe this, where, but now I have a whole totally different thought. I've got to look this up some more myself. <laughs> I've like I've always thought the the purpose of Judas having to point Jesus out with a kiss is because back then you know you couldn't take pictures and post him everywhere. Like not every, if you didn't follow Jesus, you couldn't just like look at him and be like, "Oh, that's." Because he's an Arabic man, you yes. know? I mean, he wasn't, and and he blended in with the people. But if they did follow him, and somebody else looked like him, you would need somebody who knew him to to point him out. Good, I never thought that's cool. What? So there was a whole lot more than. There's a whole lot more to Judas' betrayal than just oh, it's Jesus. It's like no, there was. They could have very easily picked Thomas if they. Oh, that's, that's cool, dude. That's I mean, wow, mine. Love if me. that's what that means, I'm going to have to have some more research and he might have a sermon right there. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> no, that's, that's interesting. A, that's for a Thomas, fun lesson. For us. Thomas,
0: though, there was a special risk to him. And for him to say this, that I'm willing to die. What? Okay. This podcast just took a whole different turn. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I never even thought about that. Because, I mean, no one,
2: because I've never, you, you read that by passing by the, the uh, Tom, uh, like, Thomas. I've never noticed that before. And i read this chapter... Lord knows how many times called the twin. So it's, just, just, it's just a
0: nickname. Twin is just a nickname for him. Yeah. And so
2: if for him to look like Christ physically,
0: whoa. Okay, there's your mind blown for the day. We probably need to move on because I'm gonna because I I'm just sitting here and I could honestly talk about this. All I'm in I awe. We don't know if that's the, that's just that's just speculation, but yet that that's a that's a very anthropological
2: assumption that could be deducted very easily. The, like, like that's the first time I ever heard it, but. That makes sense to me. It it does make sense. I'm not sure if that's the
0: case. Why did you just have to You're case, being real quiet yeah, over it, here. Because he doesn't know what to say. God, this, <laughs> just, <laughs>
1: this just feels like a big deal. Like I feel like God God's chilling up there on his throne, like look looking at the world and just little just little. Gleam we'll of light fight. appeared where we're at, and he's like, oh, dude, somebody figured that one out." Yeah, he's like, like, there's yeah. biblical <laughs> mysteries that, like, God's just waiting for oh, someone on Earth to figure goodness. out. Like that—that that was totally one of them. Dang it, that was totally one of them. He's like, "Hey, good job, well, man,
0: Y'all finally got something." <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, I don't, that's not really a God thing. That's more of like us trying to understand the context of the of the scripture. Because to me, that makes the garden and
2: the betrayal a lot more heavier. It's, yeah, it shows a whole lot more weight yeah on everything yeah like I, like I said like i thought it was just because you know people didn't see jesus every day so the the high jewish officials you know they they might have needed help but i mean unless you were up and personal with jesus mm-hmm. like the disciples were they probably the even the people that followed him like unless you were close with him with the disciples even they probably couldn't have picked him mm-hmm. apart if, if they were that similar to call him a twin wow whoa mind blown. a dope chapter John chapter no 11, joke. teach me new things. I know.
0: In, in here in the midst, we're learning something new. But anyways, we need, we need to move on because there's some uh, some other good stuff. But that that's that's definitely a, a highlight
1: right there for wow. sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I can't
1: spend another wow. 20 minutes screaming what at the top of my lungs. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> so anyways, so continuing on in verse 17, uh, here Jesus is finally on his travels. And like we pointed out before, Mason uses calculus skills to, <laughs> to figure out. That Lazarus was in the grave for four days and figured out, you know, travel a lot. So here it says, that Lazarus of four days. And I think this is important that Jesus waited to give physical positivity that he is dead. Like, he has to be dead. I'm sorry. Like, all the doctors in the world cannot bring someone from the dead. I'm Dr. Frankenstein. He went. Frankenstein's monster ended up like ran, ransacking and demolishing the town. Anyways, he was just misunderstood. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but yet, four days you have to be dead. And like later on in verse thirty nine, what does Martha say? Bro, he stinks. His body's decaying already. Like he's he's dead. There's nothing that we can do here. So the we we got to make sure that Lazarus is dead. So Martha, when Jesus finally arrives, Martha responds in a way that I believe most do when pain and suffering hits close to home and her question to jesus is where were you god where were you jesus and but then it's interesting how she transitions and this is one thing that i i think that in the book of john if you just have the book of john it's 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 a great book by itself but this is where you need to have the whole synoptic gospels together matthew mark and luke and john and i and and luke I'm going to i to say Luke because I can't remember the story of where Martha and Mary and Mary washes his feet and stuff like that. It's made mention in this chapter, but yet there's a, definitely a character arc for Martha because before in Luke you see Martha all she wants to do is just work, 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 work. She doesn't want to serve the Lord. She doesn't want she all she wants to do is serve the Lord. She doesn't want to you know learn and be in his presence. But yet she's all she wants to is to work. And Mary anoints him with oil and washes his feet and being in his presence. But here, it's like a transition of like, where were you, God? But then she understands that Jesus is the is one with God. And she says, whatever you ask, God will give you. And so she understands Christ's divinity and oneness with God. But I, I do see myself uh, in her question of where were you at? I, I really do. Even at a young age, you know, we, we've, I think we've seen travesty and pain and stuff like that within our own lives, and, and close
1: to us at least. And I think a lot of times, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with saying, where are you at, God? What do you think she meant when uh, she said in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why do you think she said that?
2: Jesus could have saved him from death. Yeah, that, that's a thought that yeah. came to mind when I was Confidence. reading this. Because, like, in the past,
1: uh, when reading that scripture, it came off as, like, her, like, in in a grieving moment, obviously, like, being frustrated with Jesus for not, for not saving him. Mm-hmm. Like, saying, Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died in the first place. Like, that sort of thing. Yeah, you
2: know, like, it shows that she believed in his healing powers. Mm-hmm. But I... Yeah, but, exactly. w- but when it comes to bringing him back from that, the dead, that's a that's a hard transition. That do. that is yeah. a hard transition. So. But
0: I think it shows confidence that she's like she knows she believes that he could have done this, but yet she's obviously disappointed.
1: Yeah, agree. Because I mean, just a little further down, uh, verse twenty three, Jesus says, "Your brother will rise again." And verse twenty four, Martha, she almost like has her head around this. She says, "Yeah, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day." So I don't think there's like a lapse of. Uh, faith or frustration of Jesus necessarily mm-hmm. going on here. That I, I don't know. I, when I was reading that scripture through it,
2: kind of I don't think she's doubting us. him. No, it's
1: not. just the
2: fact no. that having someone bring back, brought back from the dead, is unheard of at this time.
0: Yeah, well, and any well, other time. Well, it, it's in history. You know, remember how, I, I love the one where they're digging up the grave of Elijah, and so and then someone's killed, or no, does someone fall into the grave dead and hits Elijah's body and they come back to life or something like that for a short time, I can't remember. I don't remember. Uh, sh- scratch my comment, but I know there's a grave that's open and someone comes to life. <laughs> Let's just say that. But yet, it does happen in the Old Testament, but yet it's always focused around a messenger of God or around God himself. You know what I mean? The Valley of Dry Bones comes to mind. That's just a vision. That didn't actually happen. But it's still cool. It's still cool. It's still cool. That's, a, that's, a, that's a good tattoo idea. At least I hate you. But, Anyways, but yet the, even then, I think this is a this is a, this has probably been a long time since someone has heard this or seen a resurrection. But yet the thing is that when she says this, she's giving affirmation that the Jewish culture agreed with a final resurrection of like of the saints and of of people that believed in God Yeshua Jehovah, you know. So it's just like there's some kind of resurrection theology going on within the final days in the sense of like. I'm going to say spoiler alert, Christ's second coming, you know. Let's just say that 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 type of teaching is already here. Uh, But verses 23, I'm going to read verses 23 through 27 real quick. So 23 says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. So Martha, she's already said, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes to the world. And Jesus does another I am statement. And I think this is one of the most powerful I am statements that he has ever made. Jesus, he speaks of the resurrection power that gives life after life after death. You know, And verse 25 is that key verse, I think another key verse in this whole chapter that circulates his whole being. Of the Messiah, verse twenty five. Again, I'm going to read it. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Now, Jesus didn't. Now, Jesus didn't claim to obtain like special knowledge of like I've tapped into the the, the knowledge book. I found the book of whatever that has life. You know, he's he's not saying he he never claims like I have the knowledge of this. I have the ability to do this. Because you know, then that goes into a realm and a plane of like, okay, well, I can obtain this knowledge. I think we've discussed this in the past before. We've a little debate over this. But yet, he'd never claimed this. What did he claim? He said, I am mm-hmm. the resurrection. He is the knowledge. It's him. So he says, I am the resurrection. To know Jesus is to know the resurrection life. So here's a question I want to propose. Would the statement that Jesus made here still hold true, even if Lazarus did not rise from the dead and Jesus did not make that action to, to bring him back to life. Would the statement in verse 25, I am the resurrection and in, in, in life, would this still statement have resonance and still have meaning if Lazarus was not brought back from the dead?
2: I would say yes, because even then, he's still resurrected. From Christ? Christ? Yes, from his death. Okay. Um. It would just kind of prove her point, though. Like, yes, I know that he'll arise on, you know, the last day. Mm -hmm. It would change, I mean, it would change this story, but would it, would any of it be wrong? No, it would just mean that Martha was right. And she believed the right way. But Jesus was kind of talking about like, no,
1: I'm going to do it now. (laughs) I don't know if this statement has any controversy in it. So, if it does, then, well, cool. I'll point it out. But... I would argue that the point of this miracle wasn't to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Like, that mm-hmm. That wasn't, like, the goal. The goal was, like, the fact that performing this miracle put very important eyes on Jesus, and that's what led up to him being crucified. But like, what... Is- so go ahead. Like, th- this was a very crucial domino that had to, to tip over in order for Jesus to get put on that cross.
0: But what about in verse 15? Like, I, I, I agree with you all, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm playing the here. But in verse 15 says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but
1: let's go to him. So it's like. Yeah, I mean, obviously there, there are multiple, like, reasons that he does this. Yeah. I mean, Lazarus being alive again definitely is a goal, but it's not the goal. Like, if you had to, like, list, if Jesus had to list the reasons that he was going to bring Lazarus back to the dead, I'm going to, again, this this is my personal, like, belief here, and I feel like it's a safe assumption, but whatever. I feel like the, the number one priority would be get caught. <laughs> like, like that. This is where some Jewish officials see him, and it puts him on the road to Golgotha. Like, the, this is a super, super important miracle for that reason mainly, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And, and, I, and here,
0: here's where I, I totally agree with y'all. And Jesus, we know that he is like the biggest teacher that uses object lessons. <laughs> and this is probably one of the biggest object lessons that he has ever given. So, he's, you know, he's talking about the resurrection of life, not only physical life by the sense of his second coming, but yet mainly he, he's really talking about the spiritual as well. I mean, they coincide with each other. But yet still, I mean, he's talking about the, the, spirit, the spiritual and the physical resurrection. He says, those that believe in me shall not stumble. Those that have life, follow the light, won't stumble and fall. And so here, I think that he's using this miracle, his last miracle, in the sense of bringing someone back from the dead, as like, I know what I'm talking about here. This is something greater than what you think it actually is. So I, it, it's another another thing I think he's putting a. Uh, a couple of exclamation points on his uh, teachings. You know what I mean? So after Ma- Jesus makes a statement of the I am resurrection and life, another I am statement, uh, Martha tells her sister Mary that the teacher is here and wants to see her. Now, Mary goes to Christ. And Mary is completely heartbroken and falls at Jesus' feet and says the same thing that Martha had said Jesus previously, that when, G- when Lazarus... Was alive. It's like if you were here, Jesus. If you were here, my brother would not have died. So it sounds like they've 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 the sisters have grieved together, and this is a consensus consensus statement they have made of like, Jesus, if you were here, you he wouldn't have died. You know, and so we see the heartbrokenness behind Mary, and verses thirty three through thirty five, Jesus shows that he cares. For his friends, and he cares for these these women, and cares for Lazarus, and he was moved deeply by the pain of those he loves. And Mason's favorite verse, because it's probably the shortest verse in scripture, it is the shortest verse in scripture. But verse thirty-five, talk about that, Mason. Jesus Jesus
2: wept. What did he do? He wept. He cried. Jesus wept bitterly. (laughs) No, okay. I'll go ahead and get the joke part out of the way. Yes, it is one of my favorite parts yeah. because it is so easy for my feeble brain to remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that there's actually so much within these two words. Oh, powerful. Yes. I because agree. here's my here's my little preacher rant for the day. Other than the mind-blowing thing that we had with Thomas. Hmm. <laughs> Jesus wept. So we have Jesus and we have an emotion. This is... When people try to say, like, God doesn't know, like, all the troubles that we can go through as humans. Or God doesn't, like, understand because, you know, he's God. Like, he doesn't, like, understand the trials. Wrong. Yeah. This one verse, the easiest verse to remember, shows that Jesus, God himself, knows what it's like to lose loved ones. Mm -hmm. Knows what it's like to hurt. And hurt to the point where he cried. But not just cried. Like, he wept. Like, he cried very painfully, bitterly. So, like, that that brings alive, like, to life, the human part of Jesus. Like, yes, he was God. Yes, he will raise him from the dead. But he also had that time of, like, as a human to say, this was my best friend, one of my best friends outside of, you know, the disciples. Like, this is my friend. This is a, a friend that I cherished very deeply. And at the time being, he's gone mm-hmm. for the time being. And I'm going to mourn that. And so, you know, within those two words, I think there is so much to tell within that. So I'll put some points here too. This
0: is the preacher me too because I got to put points. But Jesus wept. I've got five points that what Jesus wept shows me, and this is it's what, two words, Tanner. Why dude, do you have five okay. points?
2: There's so much, so much, so much.
0: So the first point that I, that I saw in in these two words is that Jesus was truly a man. It shows that he was human. It really does. Second off. There is no shame in tears. Uh, there is no shame. And I think one of the things, one of the, the one of the most damaging things that uh, anyone could tell, especially to men, I think. Men, is like, you know, suck it up. Don't yeah, cry. You're a man. Don't cry. Don't cry. Jesus cried. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. And, and I think that we, we don't need to be scared of emotions, especially in the midst of pain. We don't need to be scared of emotions. The third thing is that Jesus was acquainted with grief. And this gives parallel that he understands us. When it says that he's a comforter, he understands our pain, he understands our grief. Uh, fourthly, Jesus was not ashamed
2: of his humanity. He cried publicly in front of people. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the very next verse, verse thirty-six, then the Jews said, "See how he loved him." Yeah, how he yeah, loved Lazarus. Yeah, so it was like people were around, people saw him. It was it was mm-hmm. obvious that like what was going on. You know, it's not not something that he done. Alone, and God just said, "Here, write this down." And the last, and the last point is exactly what you said. The last
0: point that I saw is it shows that Jesus loves people. You know, it, it because that he cried, it shows that he cares and he loves. And I think that is powerful. And here's another thing too. This is pretty cool. I thought this is interesting, but yet verse thirty-eight, when he approaches the tomb, he approaches the tomb in verse thirty-eight. It says that when Jesus deep, then Jesus deeply moved again, so he cries again, came to the tomb. And this word uh, for deeply moved, and in other words, it, you know, it says uh, grieved and stuff like that. Uh, the Greek word for this, I'm not going to say it because I, it's, 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 it's long and I can't pronounce it. But yet the Greek word for this, you know, deeply moved, it literally means snort like a horse. It, that's what it literally means the translation for the Greek in this context it says that Jesus snored like a horse like and, from crying, from crying. yeah and so in the way that it like snort like a horse it implies like he like indignation and almost anger in the sense and, like grieving with anger and so he, here's here's another question to y'all was Jesus angry
1: do you think okay so I'm, I've been waiting for a moment to interject here yes sorry I, there is a verse that I have a question about, Okay. and I don't have an answer. I only have a question, so I, I look forward to discussion here, because again, I am without answers. Verse 33, when he's going to the, to the tomb with, uh, with Mary, says, when Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. Why so, was he angry? What's the question I just said? I just asked. Well... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. let me add my question okay. to okay. your question. So, problem, it, so, so it, it, the
2: it's it's long questions. Yeah. So it's it's
0: it's too, it's the same. He 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 through this whole situation, he's angry in the sense of like upset, snort like a horse. You see Jesus snort like a horse. So here's here here's like I say, is this another type of righteous anger? Because there's no sin being done because he's sinless. So is this another type of righteous anger of like, why is he mad? Why is he sort of mm-hmm. like a woman? Well see, like in well, other I have things, an idea.
2: in other translations, like you'll see like groaned. Like yeah, groan. groan. And th- to me, like if you groan, you're not a, a, like fully upset. You're it's it's a mix the way I the way I understand it compared to just angry in the spirit, it's and it's a mix between upset and sad. And so, Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I can see that, yeah. And so like like you're upset, but it's because you're sad. Yes, yeah. So you're not just fully angry in but, so, spirit. But, but I mean, that's the
0: same thing. So I can imagine the question, which I don't. I, Jesus isn't asking this, but uh, if I was Jesus, or if I, no, I mean, let me rephrase that. If I was like Mary and Martha, I'd, I'd be asking the same question, like, why? Because I'm sure Mary and Martha had some indignation too. They were a little bit angry too. It's like, why? And when tragedy and pain and suffering hits our, hits our doorstep, I'd be a little angry too sometimes, like, why is this happening? You know? And so, may, but the thing is, so I don't think that's Jesus isn't saying that, but yet that's the type of response that we would have. But I think this is this this is my this is the this is what came to my mind why Jesus was angry. I think he's angry at a bigger picture, like he's pissed off at death.
1: I was about to say, I think I was thinking maybe he's angry at sin. Yes, like Lazarus. Well, what was sin? sin that death. Yeah, the, yeah, the death. Okay. Okay. Like this whole
0: picture has killed my friend, like someone I was close to. Like yeah. this is. Like I'm done with
2: this. I like, behind that answer.
0: Yeah, so I, I can see him being angry at sin, like the, the the big villain of the whole situation. And I think this is when, like the final straw the straw that broke the camel's back like which and this is the whole plan all along. Jesus this is the whole plan for Christ all along, is to die on the cross for the sins and, and defeat death once and for all. But yeah, I think I, that's what I believe. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. So on to the resurrection. So in, in 39, we see, you know, the first call that Jesus says about this whole resurrection thing is that he says, in verse 39, it says, uh, remove the stone, he says. He tells the people to remove the stone. So the question in my mind is like, let's just, let's just say, Matthew, that someone, if Jesus came, if someone said, you know, a, a great healer says, okay, let's dig up Paul daily. You know, our, grand, our grandpa, let's, let's dig him up and let's open up the casket and let's do that. That's a little weird. I'm not gonna, and to me, that's almost sacrilegious, and especially with people that are very religious in nature and tradition. Open up a grave to me is like, this is unheard of. Like, why are we doing this? You know, I may redact that statement because don't they come like a couple times and like put spices and, and stuff like that in there? May I? Maybe. I don't know. I, mean, I know. I was, but I was to gonna... me, I'd be questioning why in the world, because, and, because Martha says he stinks, bro. He stinks. So it, it doesn't make any sense why Jesus would want the stone removed because Martha does ask the question or does make the statement, like, he stinks, he's dead. Like, what
2: are you doing? Well, she doesn't say that there that there is one. She just says, by this time, there, yeah. it, there is one. So, like, I mean, she doesn't smell it, but she's like, it's been four days. He's like, got to stink. Yeah. Logic like, like Yeah, he surely does. And
0: so in verse 40, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this. So he's saying this publicly. He said this prayer out loud, so that they may believe you sent me. So it's almost like, I know that we said before that this whole thing, this miracle thing, I like, it didn't have to happen for this statement to be true. But yet, I think he had to do it for allowing this crowd to believe what he says about the resurrection and about that he is the resurrection. Now, Tanner,
1: what do you mean by he had to? Oh, my.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, this one, now, this one I'll agree with. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't resist. That's true. Jeez. The second you said had, just uh, uh, the switch true. went off.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but with this prayer, I think that Jesus, with this prayer that he says that, uh, uh, Father, I thank you that you heard me. It shows that Jesus has confidence that he has a relationship with the Father. You know, it shows that he is one with the Father. And the prayer being public, like I said before, standing there and doing this thing, saying this publicly so that they may believe. Like There's a reason why he's saying this publicly, and there's a reason why he did this miracle is what, so that they would believe. And here it comes. The Savior calls, the dead rises, and Lazarus comes out. So where is it? In verse 43. After this, he said this. He shouted with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" This is the this is this is the work that he does right here. He calls out to the dead and says, "Come out and be alive." And preach your application here. And I'm going to use this as a sermon. I promise you is that he, when he calls to us, just goes back to Revelation, is that, you know, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever opened, uh, and I will come in. It's the same thing here that Jesus is like, I'm calling out to you, Lazarus. Come out. Jesus isn't going in there and grabbing you. He's calling out to Lazarus. He's like, come out, bro. You want, you want to be alive? Then come out of the grave. And it's the same thing with our hearts is that Jesus doesn't come, go in and like, you're going to be alive if you like it or not. He said, he calls out to our hearts. He calls out to the dead and says, come out and be alive. Be resurrected. Now, here's another thing I want to point out. I thought this is interesting. Is that this? there's a difference between resurrection and res- resuscitation. This isn't, I don't want to say, I, I, and you may debate me on this, but yet, I don't want to say this is a resurrection event. I think this is more of a res- resuscitation. Hold on. Hold me out. Hear me out. I see resurrection as more of a glorifiedness behind it. Jesus was resurrected, and he was glorified in his resurrection. When Christ comes again in his second coming, I see I see that as our glorification of the bodies being resurrected. This is more of a resuscitation because Lazarus, guess what, he dies he, he dies later on. This is not this isn't like a, a fountain of youth thing, but he is basically resuscitated, but yet he dies later on. He doesn't live forever
2: like Christ does. What's your thoughts on that? I don't know actual timestamps, like on like de- like as far as definition goes between the two, but when I think of the difference, to a degree, I will. the The one part I'll agree with too is that like your your point about how Lazarus dies again, mm-hmm. and that's the only part of the argument. Maybe that
0: the de- I- maybe the term resurrection
2: resuscitation. Because obviously recitation is not a medical word. No, and it's not. And I like to think and you're in the medical field, so you can like you, yeah you can attest to what I'm about to say. But like when I think of a recitation, it's someone that uh, humans can't break other humans back to life except after
1: a, a short, time, a very couple a minutes. Short time. I
2: think yeah. it's it has to be the longest. I think I've read about someone being like classified as dead and then actually brought back and stayed like and lived at least for more than a week after that was, I think, eight minutes? I think eight to
0: 15. Because yeah. there's there's certain situations where, like, people are, are, are in, uh, like, cold, cold ice water mm-hmm. and their metabolism and uh, body functions are slowed down. Mm-hmm. And so they tend to be, quote, unquote, dead mm-hmm. for a long period of time. But yet, 15 minutes, eight to 15 minutes, four days. I know there's a big difference.
2: And that's why I would use the term... Of, resurrection over um resuscitation them. <laughs> that's a one That's one word the two terms uh oh okay sorry i thought you were resuscitation. saying resuscitation is one of resuscitation yeah resuscitation okay. and uh resurrection well, it, that's why i think there's a difference because of the time stamps. like you have four days versus a quarter of an hour you know like I think, I think that's why I was used to different And But here's why I also don't like the point of uh, the glorification is because Jesus done this to glorify God.
1: Well, I mean, no. It, no, it wasn't to glorify. Glor-
2: glorify and
0: glorification. To glorify is to lift up praise in the sense of like worshiping in, in that sense. Glorification is, you know, like without sin in that sense because our bodies will be glorified when he comes back. Christ was glorified. When he was resurrected, in the sense of like, like he will live forever. So I mean, we're not glorified. So I guess the step process of our whole spiritual, physical walk, whatever, is that first we are justified, justification. So we are saved. Then there's sanctification. There's a continuing growth, and there will be no glorification until he returns. So here's where I, the reason why I see it more of a resuscitation, is because resurrection. Jesus says, "I am the resurrection." and I know resuscitation is not in this book and it's not in this chapter, it's nowhere in Scripture, but the resurrection, I see it as a very...
1: It sounds like your goal here is to separate the significance of Lazarus' resurrection. Resurrection and Christ's resurrection. Okay, yes, okay, yeah, I'll,
0: I'll, say, I'll say that, yeah. There's a difference between Christ's resurrection and Lazarus' resurrection. And I think the reason why I pointed this out and I had this in my no- notes is that because... I don't want to take away from Christ's resurrection. And so to say that Lazarus was resurrected, I would more say he was resuscitated. And so this is just me thinking as a medical person is that I don't want to take away, which obviously you can't take anything away from Christ. Yeah. And
2: see, like, I'm not trying to take, like, yeah. I, I, I went for a second take away from that, but here's where I see the difference. Lazarus didn't do it on his own. Jesus did. True. true so true, true. that's why I would say he was still resurrected, but by Jesus. Well, Jesus was resurrected by himself. Okay. And so that's why I think the two stand alone. Like, Lazarus was just a pawn. He was just used. But can you be resurrected twice? Because if this is the case, then Lazarus
0: will be resurrected twice because he's resurrected on his present life, but then he'll be resurrected in the final
1: day. now that's just getting into, like, dictionary terms versus theological terms. True, I know, I know. But
0: yet, I I love this stuff, bro.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. But, but, like, that's, that's getting into an area where we're just starting to, like, take words and be like, well, but which version of resurrection do you mean? Just give
0: me this one. Just give no, me this one. No. All right. Never.
1: Never. That's not how but, this podcast
0: works. Okay. But I'll just say this. <laughs> but let me move on. Let me move on to one thing that I think this is probably one of the best preaching points that I saw that that me and the Lord had some good time with when when I was studying on this is that let's go past the difference of between resuscitation and resurrection. But I want to look at this right here. That in verse forty four. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips strips, and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, he said to the crowd, unwrap him and let him go. So I found this very interesting. Why didn't Jesus unwrap him? Why did he tell people to go unwrap him? And I'm not saying that Jesus is like, I think this is interesting. I I found this is just an application. I don't think this is the main reason why this is an application to me. But Jesus, he did, the, he did the great work of bringing him back from the dead, okay? And he told people to go and unwrap him, to go unwrap his, his grave clothes. And so when, I saw this as, a, as an application. It's like When we see someone come back from the dead in a sense of come into life with Christ as a Christian, he's done the greatest work of all. But sometimes we, as fellow believers, those that are alive, Need to help them out and unwrap those grave clothes, and Christ is telling us to do that. You know, we need to bear the burdens and like teach them and show them and care for them, and don't allow them to be in those grave clothes. And sometimes, this is the, the, the preaching aspect. We want to put those grave clothes back on, and and remain dead in our sin. You know, they, I want to wrap myself back up in in the grave cloth of lust, or wrap myself
2: in the grave cloth of uh, uh, adultery and idolatry. I'll agree with the last half of that. But I'm not going to touch the first half because I want to. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk. I want to bring this up though. I think there actually is like a purpose for him not touching him. Though. Okay. Okay. And it's because if he touched him, like he did the blind man, they're like, "Oh, Jesus touched him and healed him." And here's the thing: if he didn't touch him, he has the power to do this just by speaking it. So one, it, it really shows his power to these people. Lazarus, come forth never touches him, here's the thing. But it also allows the people to actually see Lazarus is alive mm-hmm. if other people are touching him. So I think there's two points to that. Like One, it shows his true power of not like just speaking the word, and he can raise someone to life. But it also allows the people who are under him to, to attest that Lazarus is alive. He's not a walking zombie or something like this is Lazarus that we saw five days ago. You know, mm-hmm. so well that that goes back to what 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 I always say about
0: scripture is that there's one interpretation but many applications. So that no, that's what your dad said. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, but that could be like a first century application, and what I say could be like a present application. And so yeah, that I I, I totally agree with that. That could be like just a way that's like I'm just going to prove my point further by just speaking it and not touching him, so people won't say well, he just gave him a shot of epi You know, brought <laughs> a spiritual epi spiritual uh,
2: but yeah I, 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 I think that that's just there's more to it. I, when I read that I was like, oh theres there's, there's a many lot. things to that. yeah I think that's powerful. And I think that's that's definitely what I said, I think definitely applied to them. And the second half of what you said, I think definitely it applies, applies to to us. Us. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. applies back to us about yeah. how we there's try, a teaching we, moment. how we try to go back sometimes. Yeah, for what it's worth, I do agree uh, with
1: you, Tanner, because one thing that I put on the notes here. Uh, I think we touched on it last week. I don't know if we use this exact phrase, but in last week's notes uh, when we were recording, we had uh, the note that Jesus is a leader but not a driver. And I think that that goes hand-in-hand with Mm -hmm. that phrase. Yeah. That Jesus, he's making it clear what needs to be done, but, like, he's not going to sit here and and do all the work. Mm -hmm. Like, there's opportunity for us to bring glory to him through our actions.
0: I mean, he's still calling them to do it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: he's still in it. So I I, I I think that's, that's powerful. So... And because of this, verses forty-six through forty-eight, some of those that witnessed this they believed, you know. And this is the same thing over and over again. When Jesus does something, when Jesus says something, some people believe, but guess what? Some people don't. Not everybody. Either. Not everybody. Not everyone's going to believe. And and this is this is the thing about the free will aspect is that you've got a choice to pick Christ or not. And so some believe, and others they ran and tattled on Christ. You know, and I put that on my notes because that's what they did. They tattletale on, on, on Christ and it's like, he just healed a dude. Or, oh, I'm sorry. He brought him back to life. Something more than just healed him. And, I, and and the religious leaders, this, like we said before, this changes the game. Him bringing back Lazarus from the dead, this changes a lot of things. So the religious leaders, they're scared. And they're worried that Jesus will turn the whole nation against them and st- and follow Jesus. And, st- and the Romans will take away their influence and power. So the, r- the religious leaders are afraid to lose their power and their influence. I don't know a lot. This last part, I kind of had a hard time deciphering it in the sense of like trying to understand Caiaphas
1: a little bit. Yeah, he's an interesting character. Um, I like... Uh, what you put in the in her notes, Tanner, that he gives an unconscious uh, prophecy because that I mean that is really what it reads like. Because when I was initially reading, I was like, Wait, what? Which side is this guy on? Yeah. I mean, just to read uh, verses 49 through 52 says, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, "You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish." He did not say this on his own. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God.
0: Did you notice that John said twice that he's the high priest? Yeah. And so it's just like, John's like, okay, it's it's not the man, I'm just making it clear, it's not the man Caiaphas mm-hmm. that's making the prophecy, but it's because he's a high priest. Yeah. And so he's making sure it's like, you know... He may be a bad dude, and and he's going to seek to kill Jesus. And I like what the 17th century theologian John Trapp says. He says, Wholesome sugar may be found in a poisoned cane, a precious stone on a toad's head, a flaming torch in a blind man's hand. And so you're going to find a a
1: diamond in the rough every once in a while. I think the modern equivalent of that is a a broken clock. It's right twice a day. There you
0: go. There you go. And so I I think that the Lord used this, used used a prophecy and a vision through this dude, Caiaphas, to kind of give an example, like, okay, this is true, that one it's better for one man to die to save humanity. And I think that this could be like another, I guess, nail in the coffin. I don't want to say nail in the coffin because the coffin was broken open. But yet this is another aspect that triggered the Jews to kill Christ by this prophecy. Maybe. I mean, I
1: had it written down The uh, in a way, it is the, the beginning of the end. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. Because I mean, this is an action that does directly lead to uh, Jesus being
2: killed. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this and I'm trying to see this as like him being for Jesus. But the more I read it, the more I'm thinking it's better that they kill him rather than him lead the whole Jewish people away. And because that's what they think Jesus is doing. You no, know, that yeah, they know and what and so. Now I'm trying to think of this as, like, the reason John emphasizes this is because even the high priest, the guy who was supposed to be. Supposed to be. Before Jesus came along, he is supposed to be the closest man to God, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, the high priest of the Jews. And even he refused. Mm. Like, he didn't get it. Even the Lord gave a prophecy through him of the truth and still wanted to kill Christ. Yeah, just because he thought that Jesus was going to lead them astray and it would wind up, you know, sending all of their nation to hell or, you know, just something along that lines. It would wind up ruining the whole nation rather than if they just went ahead and killed them all. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just thinking, like, you know, the Pharisees, the high high people wanted to kill him, but even the dude who's supposed to be at the top, who's supposed to understand it, Mm -hmm. didn't. Yeah. And it's just
0: like I think of like a boiling boiling pot. You ever you boil noodles for macaroni and cheese? I mean it's the best thing in the world. Mac like and cheese. You gotta add extra delveta in there. But anyways, but you know when you when you when you boil noodles and stuff like that, like first it's boiling a little bit, you know, and then as time goes on, if you leave it alone, what ends up happening is it, it boils over and spills over and creates a big old mess and it's like, oh, it gets everywhere. I think that's what's happening. You know, ever, when Jesus started, when he was baptized by John the Baptist and his ministry started, I think we're getting to the boiling point where it's boiling over. I think this is where it's getting, the boiling, the boiling water is getting out of control, which it's in control, it's in God's hands. But in verse 40 or 54 through 57, this is the last of it I'm going to read. And I think this is kind of uh, interesting to look at as well. So verse 54 it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews. But departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with the disciples. So it sounds like Jesus didn't have any more public display of miracles. Like he's like, okay, I know what's about to happen. I know what I did, and I know what they're going to do. They've they've finally sought out to kill me. They and they make that statement. The Jews and the Pharisees they said, we're going to make a plot to kill Christ. Yeah, from from that day on. Yeah, and so they they've they've already made it, placed it in their hearts. To kill Christ. And so Jesus knows this and says, okay, I still have some work to do. It's more of a personal matter with my disciples. But yet, I'm going to kind of refrain myself and kind of hide myself just a little bit. And then it's going to happen. So, now the Jewish Passover was near and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, where do you think? Or what do you think? He won't come to the festival, really. The chief priest said the Pharisees had given the orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. So they, they put out a hit on this dude. You know, if anyone sees Jesus, they got to report it so they can arrest him and kill him. And so Jesus saw, Jesus knew that his life on earth is coming to a close. You know, what would you say? Like the, the final days is here for his life. And he didn't open. He didn't openly walk among the Jews because their hearts strung to kill Christ. But Jesus still had some things to do, and I think this is the next couple of chapters before his death is probably one of the most impactful. This, this 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 chapter is one of my favorites, and I think we all agree. But yes, the next to come when he's conversating strictly with the disciples, mm-hmm. it's one of the most biblically theologically fruitful and dense mm-hmm. stuff. The fi- short chapters, Yeah, too. we're
2: fixing to come up on possibly my favorite chapter here before too long. Yeah. And it's, I tell you what, it's got some good stuff yeah. in it. So I, I think this is like definitely the starting point to some heavy stuff. Heavy
1: stuff. We've been doing nothing but child's play since then. Since since then, so. I'm but excited. That was chapter 11. Next week, chapter 12, we'll be we talking about the triumphal entry. So Steam's picking up. As, we, as yeah. we've covered in this chapter, this is the Proverbial beginning to the end, as far as the average mortal is concerned, for Jesus' life. But uh, I, hear that, I hear that it's kind of hard to keep that guy dead. But uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get to that. So, as always, you can uh, reach us at our email, our Facebook, our Twitter, or Instagram. It's all in the show notes. Just tap it, and then boom, it's there in front of you. Uh, we'll catch you next week. And until then, Tam, give us the magic words. Peace out.